Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, the evolution of cable news. So one of the fascinating stories that we've seen emerge in the past few years is cable news networks like CNN and even more so MSNBC abandoning their kind of just the news sort of stance and becoming much more political and much more opinion-based and much more based on commentary than just reporting information. They, in part, sort of mimic what has been happening at Fox News, where this has been even more pronounced and more noticeable, but the same thing has been happening on the other side, too. So I've long been fascinated with kind of how this happened and how it's evolved, and I'm thrilled that I now have all my questions answered in a new piece that was posted on CJR this week about MSNBC and looks at how MSNBC and NBC News sort of managed this trajectory and sort of traveled down this road in ways that were surprising to me and that tell us a lot about the state of cable news now. The writer of that piece is with us this week on The Kicker, Adam Peori. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm also joined by Betsy Moraes, who's the managing editor of CJR. Betsy, when's the last time you were on this podcast? It was a while ago. Um, is there resentment brewing over that, or is it all good? <laughs> no, I like to be at the editor's desk more than right. the podcast crew. So uh, Betsy edited this, um, what was it, like a 7,500-word story on MSNBC? But it really is enlightening, and it really sort of helps me understand how we ended up where we are. And and there's a great news peg because the president of NBC, Andy Lack, it was announced this month that he's leaving, and it's sort of part of this whole long saga. So, Adam, first off, how much TV did you watch as you were reporting the story? Uh, enough to irritate my wife and stress me out, especially yeah. as coronavirus. Yeah, in fact, there's a there's a there's a line there's a section at the end of the piece where where she she basically says that she can see noticeable changes in you when you're watching this much cable. I grew increasingly agitated uh, and I was, um, I don't know, she, she accused me of ambushing her with, with uh, statistics and, and little news nuggets. But, uh, you know, it's a constant chatter, um, constant download of information, and it's, it's repeated on a loop and uh, it gets in your head a little. Um, I don't know. I, I've heard over and over again since this crisis began that you have to monitor how much you watch. You know, it's not healthy to continuously yeah. watch coronavirus coverage, but I think it's the same thing with the election coverage as well. It reminded me of the uh, documentary about the guy who ate all the McDonald's fast food and how increasingly sick he got, right? Shannon, what was the name of that documentary? Supersize Me? Supersize Me, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. To that point, I think one of the most interesting observations in the piece is when Adam says that his greatest fear is what would happen if he stopped watching. Um, right. because there's a way in which they keep pounding at the same stories over and over again, emphasizing their importance and sort of creating a community of concerned people who feel that somehow by watching cable news, they're participating in democracy, even though it's a totally passive activity. Um, yeah. And I guess those people tend to be the older demographic who tune into MSNBC, um, for whom this is a relatively simple way of engaging with politics. So Adam, walk us back through how this, this the, again, there's been this sort of push and pull between people, sort of news purists who just kind of want to like stay as close to the middle of the road as they can get. Um, and 
other people who sort of see the value in a more kind of like progressive, aggressive um, approach at MSNBC. Talk us a little bit through that sort of history. Yeah, well, so, you know, originally uh, when it was when it was conceived, it was supposed to be just an extension of NBC News. Uh, another, you know, I mean, most people who are journalists are familiar with the frustrations of space constraints, and they certainly felt that in the network news coverage. And Andy Lack's idea was to basically give his producers an unlimited canvas on which to continue to follow the news when they when they introduced it. They had Tom Brokaw uh, beam in on a satellite imagery from, I think he was in Tuzla watching planes take off for the Balkans. And he was saying, you know, this is a great story, but we don't have the space to cover it. MSNBC will allow us to cover it. But um, really, you know, what happened is um, people got bored. You know, uh, um, it wasn't filling enough space. It was great when there was urgent stories, when there was breaking news and people felt like they needed to know something like, you know, during, uh, I don't know, I guess O.J. Simpson's car chase or or uh, during 9-11. Um, but other times it wasn't so great. There wasn't much of a reason to tune in. Um, and you know, um, MSNBC is a, it was costing a lot of money and it was, um, had its corporate overseers wanted to see some sort of return on profit. They wanted to see ratings go up. And so they, over the first few years, they began to come under greater pressure to do something to get the ratings up. And they flailed about for a long time trying to figure out something that would work. Well, can I, can I just pause you there? Because, I mean, actually, this dilemma that they had makes total sense to me. Like, 24 hours is a long time in a day to fill with news, right? Um, and, you know, you need, you need either a huge budget to send reporters all over the world all the time, or you got to pad it with something when there's a lull in news. I mean, what was their, did they actually think that they could just kind of fan the globe all all day, every day, and just sort of fill it with reporting from reporters in the field? Uh, I'm not sure, but I know that they, they did fill a lot of time with, you know, reruns of Dateline and oh. just stuff from their news offerings, just tr- attempting to repackage stuff. Oh, okay. um, so, I mean, it, it does seem like they have not expanded that much in terms of how much reporting they do around the world as a result of MSNBC. Right. It's an extreme, like in its current form, it's an extremely profitable medium. Yeah. The operating expenses are, are, are very low. People say it's not really fair because they have to look at it that way. Cause they have all the resources of NBC news. Yeah. But even if you just watch some of these shows with the production values, they have somebody on a split screen and they're just, you know, they're discussing the news. They're not really breaking yeah. news. Oh, I mean, it doesn't seem to, to have that. I sort of interrupted the timeline, though. You you were saying that, so they realized the thing, which was you can't fill it with reporting all the time, so you have to do something, and then they turn to this kind of talk and commentary format as an answer to filling time, right? Right. Well, even early on, the the idea was sort of the model that existed was the the crossfire model, uh-huh. um, and and Keith Oberman was explaining this to me. I mean. The idea was just that you get two guests and you uh, put them sort of against each other and you hope that the heat they generate and the controversy they generate is what will draw the viewers. So early on, they they were relying on that a little bit too, but it wasn't, uh, they didn't really take on a partisan identity uh, until 
until Keith Overman came along. Um, but, you know, one of the quotes in the story that I really liked that sort of explained it for me was Bill Wolf, who was eventually he was Rachel Maddow's executive producer. He worked on the Tucker Carlson show and he was a vice president for primetime programming. And he said, you know, there's an old idea in media. Do you build the car for the driver or do you pick a driver for the car? That is to say, do you build the product in the news business around your personalities or do you have a system and you just plug people into the system? And he, he was saying that the lesson from Keith Oberman and, and Rachel Maddow and sort of the thing that worked was you've got to pick the right drivers. It's about the drivers. Mm -hmm. But when Andrew Lack came back, he said kind of the opposite. He said, it doesn't matter who the, the anchor is, the news is the star and we're going to draw viewers with the news. Right. And a lot of people inside thought, well, that didn't work before and it's not going to work now. And, um, and I think you've seen that um, really it is the personalities that draw a lot of the viewers. Yeah. I mean, also, also there, there's, there's news when there's breaking news um, and they've had to struggle to balance that. Right. So Betsy, what are we to glean from the sort of direction of TV journalism, especially in a election year? that Andy Lack, the guy who is the sort of just the news guy is out. Um, what, what does this tell us about what we're in for for the next months? Well, in the, in the immediate months, um, as Adam writes, there's a lot of figuring out how to cover politics in this moment of tremendous public health crisis. Um, and it kind of happened that, coronavirus hit the United States as Biden was essentially seizing the nomination from the Democratic Party. And so uh, at that point, it was fairly obvious that MSNBC and the other cable news networks needed to shift in the direction of COVID. Um, but you see the politics story coming into that pretty quickly. Um, certainly in the coverage of Trump and his briefings um, and the extent to which those were aired without comment um, on MSNBC and various other networks. And then the way that the, the campaigns are going to deal with this and deal with campaigning at, in a period of social distancing. So you have all these people who are sort of trying to figure out how to cover the story sensitively, and some of them are doing that. Some of them are trying to figure out how to bring politics back into the fold. Um, and all the while, there's this transition going on on the corporate level. And the leadership has predominantly focused on serving this core demographic of people who are reliable viewers of MSNBC. They tend to be older. Um, they tend to be more oriented towards conventional establishment uh, expertise and Biden appeals to them. Right. Um, and the, those people feel comfortable in that, in that mode, but the, the people who are missing are younger viewers who are the viewers that advertisers you would think would be most interested in. And those younger viewers uh, tend to be more progressive and, there, they the progressive viewers tend to feel left out when watching MSNBC, and so you had this conflict that was brewing right before coronavirus hit between the more old guard establishment 
Biden people and the more progressive Sanders supporters. Um, And, you know, it's hard to say how a change at the highest level of leadership is, is going to affect the coverage that the average viewer sees, but it can change the dynamics of the place. And in terms of like how, what perspectives are heard, be it the perspectives of women, the perspectives of more progressive political minds, um, the hope is that this creates opportunities. Adam, one of the interesting elements of your story was how much, how dysfunctional a place <laughs> MSNBC sort of comes off as in terms of like the infighting and the factions and the like, just this sense of like a real tug of war internally over the soul of this place. To Betsy's point, do you have any expectation that that's now going to die down now that Lack is out and the, and he was the sort of standard bearer for this other approach? Uh, yeah, I mean, potentially. I, I, I don't really know. I mean, because I don't, it, we have to wait and see how how Condi uh, is going to approach this. But um, I do think that um, Lack had sort of your standard inside the Beltway um, establishment outlook on things. And um, and he was not that much of a fan of MSNBC's progressive direction. Yeah. I mean, it, they, he didn't. He's known. He was known a bit as a micromanager in terms of you know he would call a, a control room. He was a former producer him, himself. But the main way in which this sensibility was conveyed was through the personnel decisions he made. Uh, you know, the the new hosts that he brought in, and also sort of his attitude towards certain guests which was conveyed to people um so i'm not sure if it'll change but um you know it was definitely understood what his sensibility was he was kind of an old school guy and uh it doesn't seem like there was that much hunger to have bernie sanders surrogates on initially it's the, the perspective was credentialed inside the beltway people and and you know, in some ways, what we've seen is, the, or or it seemed like what we were seeing was the same thing we saw in the Republican Party that was reflected in in the conflict in Fox, which is, you know, people from outside um, were exercising power and 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 excelling in the early parts of the election, yeah. and MSNBC's guests were not reflecting. There's that. a quote in the piece: "Corporations are like organisms; they're like sharks." They just move toward the money. That's all they do. It's not moral or immoral. It's amoral. They follow what gives them money. And I think that's really, that really sums it up. Like they're not interested in intellectual debate. They're not interested in trying to hash out the dynamics at play in the Democratic Party, which are quite interesting um, and quite important. Um, And same with, you know, the, the dynamics of Washington right now, which are, totally strange and interesting and important. Um, they're interested in running a successful business and and the ideas about what makes that possible are what drive programming decisions. Yeah, but you do wonder whether this is sort of chasing a short-term, short-term rating for long-term damage. Um, you know, are they going to be able to put this G back in the bottle after this election or after whatever, after people ultimately at some point people's appetite for 
their partisan fighting on TV has got to wane, I, I assume, right? Well, it's um, also difficult because you can give people what you think they want, or you can do something original and create and and create something that people are drawn to because of its weirdness, its insight, its intelligence, uh, and the latter is the harder, braver thing. It's the thing that it would be harder to sell, I would imagine, in a corporate boardroom. Um, But that's sort of what it all comes down to, is are you willing to put something out there that uh, presents something new, that engages with things that might be hard, rather than that are safe and dependable? Right. But then then you wouldn't be talking about cable TV news. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Any thoughts, Adam, about like how what, you know, how this could sort of play out over time? Well, I just think, I mean, part of the, the, one of the reasons that the, that, that MSNBC was criticized for their election coverage. I mean, they do have some progressive hosts. They have, um, Lawrence O'Donnell, they have Chris Hayes, they have, well, I guess, yeah, they have Rachel, but in watching the election coverage, the people that they tapped to, you know, handle the MC duties during those long nights were, uh, well, it was a lot of Brian Williams and Nicole Wallace, and both of them are very, you know, I don't, they don't have reputations as progressives at all. Rachel Maddow was involved, but I noticed that she was among the most reserved. You know, she, she, she did not opine on controversial ideas politically as much as they did. And I mean, Nicole mm-hmm. Wallace used to be in the Bush White House, so I don't see how, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, it's very sort of middle of the road. And, and, and the differences of it, they've been able to sort of paper them over because the hatred towards Trump is, that's such a big tent, mm-hmm. you know, it, and, and it, it wasn't until you had this sort of, you know, the, the break inside the Democratic Party that people, you started to see those tensions come out. So, well, I mean, a lot of people said that, I mean, MSNBC was not doing well when Obama was president and the Republicans controlled Congress and nothing was getting done. Um, and people, a lot, even the nation wrote an editorial saying that it was repetitive, but they did have some hosts who were potentially edgy, you know, I mean, and who um, were sent packing. Younger hosts like Crystal Ball and, and, and others. Yeah. Um, I think another who, way of thinking about it is like when Keith Olbermann did his thing and it took off, he didn't do that because an executive told him to. He did it because he felt something strongly and he decided to go for it. And it was a risk. Yeah. And yeah. it paid off. Uh, and so he, he wasn't thrown in the back of a car and sent to Gitmo. As he says in the piece, he was rewarded with a big contract. Um, and you don't get to do that unless you try something. And sometimes you fail, but... Uh, the, the fear of failure may be a little bit too great sometimes. Right. I mean, and exactly. And MSNBC was in a crisis mode when he started doing that. And that's why he was allowed to experiment and nobody messed with it. Basically, um, Jeff Zucker had come out to uh, Secaucus and said, if you guys don't do something, we're going to board this place up. So there was they were desperately, frantically looking around for something. And when Oberman started um, 
doing something that worked, they seized on that. Mm -hmm. But before that, they had been also experimenting. I mean, um, they gave the head of the former head of the Guardian Angels his own show, and they talked mm -hmm. to Jesse Ventura. They were they were. I mean, those moves looked kind of desperate to some people back then. But um, you know, once they found something that worked, they've stuck with it. Well, it's a fascinating history, um, and it's a great piece, Adam. Thank you so much for doing it. Um, you can read Adam's piece on MSNBC on CGI.org, as well as check it out in our upcoming magazine about um, the upcoming presidential election. It's part of a series of pieces that we're running, profiling the biggest names in media as we lead up to the election. Um, you can follow everything else going on in media at our website, on social media, and in our daily newsletter, The Media Today. Thanks for listening. See you next week.